we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Well, hello, dear listener. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, episode 333 on the 5th of April 2022. I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Shay the Subversive. Good evening. And Joe the Tech Guy. Evening, all. Right. Well, dear listener, we've got an enormous number of topics on the agenda here. Not sure how many we're going to get through before we just hop into a warm bath and slit our wrists in despair. (laughs) (laughs) So in order to just um, stay sane, we'll probably rattle through some of the goings-on of Scott Morrison in the last two weeks in a in a sort of a summary fashion because it's just too painful otherwise, isn't it? So we're going to jump around, a bunch of different topics. We can talk about just how much Scott Morrison has fire-hosed us with rorts, mistakes, lies in the last two weeks, a bit of satanic news, a bit of religious instruction news, Shay's had a little... Uh, a bit of news as well. We're going to jump around, a whole bunch of things. Stay with us. If you're in the chat room, say hello. And already Jack H is there. Good on you, Jack. So, well, Shay, want to kick us off? Got any news? <laughs> yeah. I'm not as despairing as usual because on Saturday I organised, hosted, facilitated and emceed a young workers conference and I had 50 young workers there. Some union members, some union officials, people who were just curious. So it was a really good day and lots of, lots of vibrant, lively talent coming up the ranks. So, mm. yeah, so, so should all be did, pleased about that. How many that. hours did this go for, this conference? Just from 10 till 2. Right. So it was on a Saturday and the premise was sort of young workers present to young workers and give us all a chance to talk about stuff that matters to us without having, you know, being lectured to by by boomers. Yep. I was <laughs> so it went really my, well. I was wondering where my invitation went, but then I realised <laughs> yeah. I'm not young and I'm not a worker. So <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I'm fast ageing out of that demographic too. So, But it was really mm. good to put them all together. So topical issues were climate change, wage theft, and, yeah, um, and by kind wage. of a little bit on automation and a little bit mm. on renewables and transitioning. So electricians are, are moving fast in that area. So they got up and spoke about that. And What, what did they mean by wage theft? What, what aspect of So wage theft is like when they don't pay you penalty rates or they don't pay you to award rates. Right. Yeah. Yep. So there's a lot of that happening to young workers. Yep. Oh, good. Mm. Right. Oh, that would have been exciting. Well done. Yeah, it was. Did you personally speak a fair bit or just had other people speaking? I just had other people speak. Yeah. But it did get me thinking today about, especially looking at your notes, about Mm -hmm. how to get conversations because I think it is about having secular conversations everywhere and anywhere. So, for instance, I'm part of the planning committee for Memorial Day on the 28th, which is a sort of a union event mm. where they, what's the word, 
just sort of commemorate the people who've died at work. Okay. And so there's just a heavy Catholic influence without uh. any real consideration about what well, does it have to? Since when, why are unions, you know, flirting with yep. these ideas still when we don't really, yep. they're not in line with a number of our other issues that we care about. Yep. So that's what got me thinking is like we've already set the date for next year's Young Workers Conference and I should start thinking now about how to get a panel or something around secularism and have young people start thinking about the pervasive nature of religion in yep. our affairs. Yeah. So at a ceremony. So anyway, I'll leave that to you and you can come back. Yeah. So at a ceremony <laughs> designed to talk about workers who have died at work and it'll yes. be led it'll be a, a pre, led by a priest and lots of Hail Marys and our fathers thrown mm. in there. Oh, it's so impersonal, that stuff. I went to a great wedding yes. um, since we last met and celebrant, of course, as most of them are these days. And there's a really good wedding in that it was so personal, there wasn't any religious stuff at all. And it was mm. just about the couple, their stories, all the rest of it, really just personal stuff. And I always find if I go to a wedding where there's just a prayer or something involved, it, it just depersonalizes the whole thing. So mm. uh, Anzac Day ceremonies, well, you've heard me ranting about those for years. Uh, and we'll mention that in a minute, actually. And yeah, so that's interesting. We should, yeah, we could work on a you know a new program for a secular union sort of yes uh, thing. Yeah, because I'm at the table helping the planning. May as well. Yeah, really. My first thought is it should have stories from people who have lost people and what happened and what it meant to them. And yeah, that's Mm. it. Should be personal and how it could have been avoided and how it should have been and. All the rest of it. So yeah, stuff about them. So interesting. I just watched the documentary. It's the fortieth anniversary of um, the Falklands War, uh, and at the beginning and end of every section between ad breaks, there was a scene of the mountains outside of Stanley, and there's a huge bloody cross on top of it as a memorial. And I'm thinking, how many of those soldiers were actually Christians, and how many weren't? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was the enduring vision of the whole thing mm-hmm. it was a very christian object yeah okay so with this lineup of uh, topics tonight i was just gonna came in with the thought of just scampering around willy-nilly between them and this is good because we've mentioned anzac day and right. so i'm going to get you know a roundabout way to anzac day because um allison quarters from queensland parents for secular state schools excellent article did a great article which appeared in the rationalist and it was about the history of religious instruction in Queensland. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But what it does mention in the article is that there was essentially this guy, David Garland, who was, I think it's, yeah, David Garland, an Irish Anglican, who was really the driving force of religious instruction lessons in Queensland, brought about the referendum. But his other claim to fame is that he was the driving force behind the Anzac Day ceremony in Queensland. And that became like a template for other states and even other countries. So let me find this bit about David Garland from, this isn't from Alison's article, it's it's something else where I had previously been looking at his biography. And David Garland 
an important architect and originator of Anzac Day ceremonies and rituals, Garland was described in 1924 by acting Premier W.N. Gillies as the life and soul of the Anzac Day Commemoration Committee. So Garland initiated the Anzac Day March, the Return Soldiers Luncheon, the two-minute silence, the wreath-laying ceremonies at memorials and the special church services. He also began a trust to use money raised from Anzac Day badges for the care of soldiers' graves at home and abroad. Badge and ceremonies vigorously backed by Garland were taken up in other states and to a very large extent in New Zealand and Great Britain. So the guy behind religious instruction lessons was also the guy behind Anzac Day ceremonies. Two of the things I've been, two of the three things I've been ravening on about over the last six years, the only thing he wasn't responsible for, it seems, was chaplaincy. That's John Howard, probably. But this is the strange world I inhabit, dear listener, but I, I noted in this article that it said that he died 9th of October 1939 and was buried in Tawong Cemetery. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I could find out exactly where he's buried. Do you know you can just go online and look up things? I've, I've got his plot number. I've looked at the map. I know exactly where he's buried. If I win this court case with religious instruction, I am going to go to that grave and have a quiet moment with him and say, God damn you, your influence lasted over 100 years, finally being put to bed if we, if we managed to do it. Oh, I mm. thought you were going to have a pink yeah. mass on his grave. No, I wasn't going to do that. But yeah, <laughs> so Tuong Cemetery, I'll be there if we have a win. So, so yeah, David Garland. But just getting back to Alison's uh, article, and Alison is in the chat room. Good on you, Alison. Great article and thanks for the mention. So she mentioned in it that religious instruction had its genesis in the 1910 referendum and that basically Garland was just this agitator who was just had zeal and organising ability convinced the state to hold a referendum. It was like a non-compulsory plebiscite. The Labor Party ran dead on the issue. Again, a little bit scared. And the main problem was that just general apathy by everybody, mm. everybody except Garland. And, of course, not that many voted for that particular question compared to the population. In the end, only 28.5% of registered voters were in favour of it. But that was more than those who were not in favour of it. So the government reluctantly introduced that law into our education legislation. Prior to that, there'd always been this conflict between the Catholics and the Protestants where they didn't want teaching in Catholic schools because they were worried about Catholic kids being exposed to Protestant ideas and vice versa. But anyway, Garland was keen on the Bible and teaching and he got it in and it's been there ever since and also oh the Beatty government 2006 they tried to look at introducing sort of humanism as an option so okay if we're going to have religious lessons let's at least allow humanists in to give humanist instruction and the Australian Christian lobby and other Christian RI providers manufactured a storm claiming these changes would allow witchcraft, paganism and Scientology into the classroom, all of which, of course, are already allowed into the classroom. (laughs) Arguably witchcraft, paganism and Scientology are all religions. (laughs) So they frightened Christians into bombarding their state members of parliament with objections and the most gobsmacking development occurred when the then Federal Education Minister Julie Bishop actually threatened to cut off Queensland state school education funding if the changes were passed. So 
in shock. BT government withdrew the proposed changes. And, of course, she mentions that the Noosa Temple of Satan is involved in a current action and that might cause some changes. And also during the court case when the barrister, uh, Mr Thompson, for the government was talking about our desire to run satanic lessons and um, uh, referring to that, Alison writes, in his questioning to Robin Bristow, the leader of the temple, Mr Thompson described RI as requiring that other school children would have to waste their time doing something else. He also said it would cause significant inconvenience in the administration of the schools and disruption because other children wouldn't be attending this religious education and would have to be put out of their classes to do something else. And, of course, that's what happens every day mm-hmm. for the kids who aren't doing Christian lessons. So um, so good on you, Alison. That was a good one. And, and she's, in the chat room, Alison says that she went through Hansards and there are some really good speeches and discussions in there and I can remember Alison has sent me some of that which I needed for the court case so I've read through it all as well and it's interesting actually when you look at how people spoke in those days they're quite passionate but well spoken compared to a lot of the drivel that you hear in parliament today so so yeah so that's religious instruction and segueing out of Anzac Day ceremonies, and just one other thing on sort of satanic activism before we get into politics is, as you know, we did a right to information request with the Sunshine Coast Hospital to see what they had written internally about our efforts to commence a sort of chaplaincy offering. And anyway, in the turns out there is a requirement in the with Queensland Health that anybody wishing to offer chaplaincy services in a Queensland government hospital needs to have some qualifications, which includes a clinical pastoral education course, CPE course. And so it's possible to enrol in various organisations and get yourself a CPE. So I thought, fine, well, look it up. Obviously, Robin and I, at least one of us, (laughs) is going to have to do it. Guess what? Eighteen hundred bucks. It wasn't so much the cost or the time, but the only organisations that offer the course are all obviously extremely religious course, you know, providers. Mm. So it's a training program that's at the moment completely dominated by religious bodies. There is no secular organisation offering CPE. And I thought, oh, maybe I might be able to just enrol, do it online, wiggle my way through without declaring myself. But it seems quite intense in that they do interview you and ask you why you're doing it. And it's quite a lot of, you have to do like up to 100 hours of on-the-job work experience stuff as well. Like it's quite the effort, dear listener. So anyway, um Talking to Justin Murray, who's the secular chaplain, or who was a secular chaplain down in Canberra. And Canberra operates differently because, as you know, they're much more progressive down there. So they just had a brief course down there and they were much more inviting for secular chaplains. So here in Canberra, I only had to do a short course of a few days and, and was able to be a chaplain in Canberra. So, but it's different in Queensland. So, anyway. That's uh, they have reciprocal qualifications. 
No, that wasn't. It has to be a nationally recognised CPE course, and it doesn't sound like the Canberra one is. So, and sure as eggs, if we apply, they'll be checking very carefully what our qualifications were. If we were Robin and Trevor from the Noosa Church of Christ, they wouldn't even blink and say, oh, yeah, you did a CPE in Canberra, that'll do. But, of course, that won't do when we do it. So one option is to start a training. Organisation. Organisation. So we could start an institution and apply to ASQA to become an accredited registered training organisation and then teach a CPE course to anyone who wants it. That's a lot of effort, isn't it? That in is a sp- lot of effort. In my spare time. And, and the other question, well, <laughs> maybe you can find somebody who already has the qualification but is no longer a believer. And who's willing to say they're a Satanist. That's the hard part. Mm. Not many people are willing to do that. I mean, if you're out there, we're all ears, by all means. If you know a disgruntled form. I, I wonder if the clergy mm. project, are you aware of mm. the clergy project? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm not. You want to describe it? Do you want to describe it? So, I believe it's Daryl Ray set up an organisation. He's a, a psychologist in America, and it's the recognition that if you are a preacher and that has been your livelihood, and you no longer believe, life becomes very, very hard for you, because effectively your whole life is based around the church about uh, something you no longer believe in and you don't have any particular skills to go out to an employer mm-hmm. and so it's it's supporting these people and then transition out of being a church leader and finding suitable employment and quite often it is in secular counseling it's mm-hmm. in therapy mm-hmm. it's in other sorts of because these people are are, are great speakers they're orators mm-hmm. uh, and and they're caring and they're very good at listening to people and, and helping them talk through their problems. And it's just taking the religion out of that and giving them I, the skills to have a secular conversation. I thought it was I see, I thought it was more of a self help group for people who were stuck and had nowhere to go. So they were still in their positions in religious organizations. It, it's both. And, you're right. Yep. Yep. Because there are a large number who just lose the faith. But they want to continue their pastoral work and they really downplay the mumbo-jumbo and just um, concentrate on helping people. And, yeah, so, yeah, Clergy Project. So that's an interesting one. Maybe they've got somebody who's done the course and who's willing to be a Satanist, but I doubt it. I think that's a long shot. Yeah. Anyway, that's – but. It's a perfect, after the religious instruction sort of case, it's the perfect item for satanic instruction because pretty much if they let any religious group in and you are a satanist but you have the qualification, they're not going to be able to stop you. So it's either all in or none. So Mm -hmm. it's the perfect sort of venue for that satanic activism, whereas the religious discrimination bill didn't really lend itself to satanic activism because really what that bill was doing was saying, well, if you've got an organisation, we'll let you discriminate against people, and mm. that's not what we want to do. So something like RI or the chaplaincy, is it's much better suited where it's a case of you've given these rights and privileges and, well, we'll take them as well, thank you very much, and maybe you'll think twice about it. So. Mm. Anyway, let's uh, see what happens with RI first of all and go from there. But 
Yeah, and it sounds like there used to be uh, the Navy had actually moved towards, Justin was telling me, the Navy had moved towards more secular chaplains, but he had heard that they'd actually started moving back to more religious chaplains. So it wouldn't surprise me, actually, if there is a bit of a demand for people who want to have training in chaplaincy, but in a very secular sense. Yeah, so we'll see. Right, all of that was there. Look, let's get Scott Morrison and his rubbish out of the way <laughs> before we move on to deeper things. Actually, Bronman in the chat room, clinical pastoral education link. Bronman, is that a secular teaching of it or is that a religious one? Could you let us know? Oh, actually, it says here, the CPE course is offered by the Royal Perth Hospital and doesn't look specifically religious. Okay. So that I've got the link for later. If yeah. You okay. We'll have to look at that. Maybe the maybe there's a one in Western Australia. So we'll and see if, it, if it's nationally recognised. Yes. Okay. I will look into that. Thank you, Bronwyn. That's a good one. Thank you. So Scott Morrison. I mentioned I went to a wedding a couple of weekends ago. So as you can imagine. Afterwards, talking to young and old folk and just <laughs> yes. sounding them out about politics. I'm not going to talk about the Broncos. No. Fair enough. And, you know, well, how do you think Morrison's going and blah, 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 you know. And certainly this wedding had a mixture of people who traditional conservative voters and others were not. So, look, relax, everybody. Morrison, he's done. He's toast. Mm. He's gone. Like, he's out the door. It's just a question of by how much. There's yes. a confident prediction for you based on the straw poll. But so, um, are they going to change horse before the election? Though? Between now and then, I think people have stopped listening. Yeah. Um, and he could come out with almost anything now. And I don't think people will swallow it. So, so it's yeah. also not real good for Peter Dutton. Like, if he, it kind of sets him up if he loses this one, provided the ICAC doesn't get him. Because he would make a formidable opposition leader. Yes, from his point of view. He'd go on to be Prime Minister. I, I thought a lot of the LNP are anyone but Dutton. And that's how Scotty got in there in the first place. Well, maybe as Prime Minister, but not as opposition leader. I think there's only a handful of votes in it, though, between the two of them, wasn't it? When they had their, you know. Was it? Because I, I heard Friday uh-huh. night was... Yeah, preferred. he's probably yeah. the preferred, and same for him. Yeah. It makes sense remember. for him to lose the election and become opposition leader so he gets mm-hmm. a crack at Prime Minister next time. Mm. Anyway, yeah, just talk to people. I think everybody is recognising now the property bubble instead of, isn't it great my house is now worth an extra 500000 A lot of people are now going, this is actually not good. I think people are mm. getting the idea that we've crossed over from enjoying the the windfall to worrying about the problem. Well, I, I think they're worried that it's going to burst. Yes. Uh, um, and that people will be overextended. Yes. Even people who maybe have paid off their house, I think they're worried about what it means for young people and I right. think we're crossing over there. Well, yeah. of course, if you the, the best form of rent assistance is helping young people to buy a house. <laughs> yes, that's one of the ones on his list. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Here's what we were talking about earlier. Here's my thinking. Like during the two weeks since we last sort of gathered together, dear listener, you know, every time Scott Morrison tells an obvious lie or another rort is revealed or another just stupid mistake becomes apparent, find the link, put it in my notes and under the heading of Morrison and Liberals episode 333. And I end up with a list of about 15 things which we could forensically go through and go, what a just knob, fool, buffoon, awful, evil man he is, blah, blah, blah. But to some extent I think it's a case of all those incidents are the trees and we really should be looking at the forest and and we've just wandered into a dark, evil forest that is the Morrison government and we just need to get the hell out and we don't need to identify every bad tree along the way because there's just so many of them. And I think I put the picture of, picture of Morrison and Trump on the ad for this podcast because it's kind of Trump-like. Remember with Trump, mm. there was so many things happening, lies, errors, misdemeanours exposed that you couldn't talk about them thoroughly enough because another one was on your plate and they all merged into each other and if they'd have happened to any other government, it would normally keep people busy for two weeks just talking about each thing, but there were five of these things every day and we've you're, kind you're of entered this. the Gish Gallop? Yeah, yes. Do you want to uh, explain Gish Gallup? So Dwayne Gish was a famous creationist uh, mm. and he would regularly have debates with scientists who or people who actually understood evolution. Mm. And his usual tactic was just to fire off so many falsehoods in mm. his five minutes or whatever it was that you just couldn't rebut every single one. And he would then seize on the ones that you hadn't rebutted and go, see, because you haven't rebutted these, these must be true. Yes. And and so it's just the the firing off of so many falsehoods that it's just impossible to debunk them all in the time. Yes. And the time taken to debunk them mm-hmm. meant you couldn't talk about the things you wanted to talk about. But um, right. my if I get gish by somebody, my response is to say, Look, you've said a lot of things there, a lot of different issues. I can't begin to go through all of them. You tell me your best one. What out of all that that you've just said is your best argument? And if I deal with that one and knock it over, then I reckon I don't have to deal with your others. Give me your best shot. Mm. Identify the best one and just do that if you ever, ever gish gallop by somebody. Try that one, dear listener, as a debating technique. Where was I? So, yeah, just back to the wedding. Got into a bit of a discussion with some young fellas about Ukraine <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Average Joe out there doesn't know what's going on in Ukraine, doesn't understand, I don't think, the whole history of it, the NATO build-up, the threat that that meant to Russia. Pretty much most of the thinking out there is, gee, that Putin's a bad, evil guy. If it wasn't for him, we'd all be going okay. And that, you know, the USA are still the good guys standing for freedom and democracy. And so, of course, I had to argue that they're not. So that was good. It does it get pretty heated, or no, no, balanced, yeah, no, they love it. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. I think they do. <laughs> the Look ultimate wedding guest. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, no, they do enjoy it. So Have, um, having so. having seen a lot of Bellingcat information right. recently. Uh, it's just the the layers of corruption in Russia, right? Uh, and the the overt 
bumping off of political opponents, the poisoning of anybody. And and I don't know if you saw the, the peace negotiators were all poisoned at the conference, the Ukrainian peace negotiators. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, there was a mass poisoning. Really? Yes. And that with, has with the whole With some radioactive type no, thing, some crazy no, poison or uh, just I, a, a bad egg? No, no, it was it was deliberate poisoning. I'm not sure what it was. I don't think it was radioactive, though. Right. Uh, because they, yeah, they said, "Oh, we thought it was food," and they because it was all of us at the same time, and then there were other symptoms. And given that the FSB have now poisoned f- that we know of at least three political opponents, and considerably more are suspected. Why wouldn't I have heard that though? That's a very anti-Russian thing. Yeah, which surely the mainstream media would love to. I, I don't talk know. about. I don't know why I wouldn't have heard of that. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of stuff that just seems mm. to not get talked about. Yeah, well, of course, the whole peace deal never gets talked about. Like we know, Russia has said, and over the just give up on Crimea, give up on the Donbass and change your constitution. And, and Zelensky has actually said we're willing to not join NATO and there were a couple of other things. I forget what it was. Hmm. So he has also uh, suggested peace. And, of course, the Russians are having a temporary ceasefire, which the cynics are saying is just them withdrawing to regroup, hmm. get ready for another attack. Hmm. Well, the other thing I've read is that sort of militarily, you know, the the attacks that they did at, at Kiev, for example, weren't because they intended to take the city, but really just to tie up the Ukrainian forces and their main objectives were in the east with the, uh, you know, the, to, to create, you know, to carve off that Donbass area and that was their main consideration and that the other attacks were really just to keep the main Ukrainian forces away from there. So anyway, we'll, we'll see how it pans out, whether he stops with that or not. So, I um, did see an interesting discussion about how the Ukrainian forces were punching above their weight, hmm. mostly because they have called up everybody they possibly can. Russia politically can't call up their conscripts, can't call up the reserves without yeah. claiming that it's a war and they don't want to do that. Yeah. And that the Russian soldiers just aren't invested in they're they're coming in and being seen as the invaders. They're not mm. being welcomed with open arms, mm. as they've mm. been promised that they would be, and so they're demoralised. Whereas, of course, the Ukrainians are going. This is an invading force. We're going to fight to the last man. Yeah, but the counter to that is if if all they want to do is secure the Donbass, essentially, then they're achieving that, and they're not really serious about the other areas. So They've lost an awful lot of weapons and troops mm, to mm. distract. Yeah, it's it, where's the truth? Who knows? Mm. We, we'll, it's it's who knows? Um, yes, oh, I lost my train of thought on the Ukraine, but oh, we'll come back to Ukraine later. But yeah, it's hard to know the truth. All right, let's let's just quickly get on to in the last two weeks. Here are the issues that have come out that have been sort of detrimental or a problem for Morrison. So sex in the parliamentary prayer room, Conchetta Ferrafianti Wells, basically, you know, she's on his side, 
claiming that he's a ruthless bastard. He doesn't deserve to be I, prime minister. I don't know that she's on his side. She's in his party. <laughs> well, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point, yeah. Joe. Supposedly on his side, comes out, Liberal senator, she's a complete bastard. She should never be prime minister. And it was all dodgy how he got pre-selected in the first place. And, you know, but also cast aspersions on her own character. Well, it's only because you've just got slotted that you're now saying this. Where were you before telling us? It's now because, mm-hmm. you you know, so it's no credit to her that she's come out and said it. But, you know, she now joins New South Wales Liberal Catherine Cusack, who mm-hmm. also said similar things. And in terms of his bullying and being a bastard, there's Pauline Hanson, Jackie Lambie, former Liberal MP Julia Banks, former New South Wales Liberal Premier Gladys Berejiklian, you know, all describing him as a bully, like a lot of people from his own side saying mm. what a, just a bastard he is. All women, though. Exactly. Is he only yes. a bastard to women? Yes. So he's got a woman problem, clearly. Mm. We had the line, you know, oh, well, if you can't rent, then just buy a house, and that's what we're doing to improve your position. Um, and the interviewer said, well, we're talking about rent. And he's saying, yeah, well, I'm talking about housing. And if we improve housing, then, you know, then we don't have a rent problem. Well, of course, just ignoring the problem that, of course, people will always be renters. We've got administrative appeal tribunal appointments just being stacked, this tribunal, with former Liberal politicians who will sit in judgment now on Commonwealth decisions to do with migration and, and other Commonwealth decisions. You know, jobs worth 400000 a year just being given away to favoured people. We've got the whole New South Wales pre-selection debacle where the central authority of Morrison and Hawke are deciding who's going to be the candidates in a bunch of New South Wales electorates just ignoring the wishes of the local branch members and parachuting in their own people. Mm. And that's going to cause a big problem down the track for the Liberal Party because Mm. why would you stay a member of the Liberal Party unless you were a Pentecostal nutbag? Because Mm. you sit there and you attend the meetings and you try and get things done and then they do this to you. They're going to lose a lot of people from the party it's going to get even more crazy in the Liberal mm. Party. And just it's as not- the Republicans went teabag, you know, tea party, yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's a tea party overtaking of the local branch. Sorry, Joe, go on. I was going to say, wasn't that the whole Liberal, the, the Labor government, once they've made up, once the, the head office has made up their mind, tough luck, you're out of any say, and the Liberals were going, oh, we're much more democratic than that. Yes. Possibly it was the vote in Parliament. Yeah. But that was their claim to fame was that, you know, they they encouraged dissent even if it was against the party line. Yeah. They also claim they didn't have factions. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So we've got that issue. Look, I'm not even a third of the way through them. We've got his own pre-selection where there's talk about how he lied, how he accused the other candidate, Toke, of being a Muslim. And so now Michael Toke calls him a liar, joining Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull, Emmanuel Macron and Barnaby Joyce. Again, the people the people calling him a liar other than Emmanuel Macron, members of the Liberal or National Party, these are people who are supposed to be on the same side. You know, I'm a lefty. What's that? 
I said, Macron's not exactly a lefty either. No, no. exactly. Yeah. So we had Hillsong. Haven't been there for 15 years. <laughs> Meanwhile, pictures of him at a Hillsong conference. In fact, the same conference where the guy went into the hotel room with the woman and did whatever he did. Like it was at the same conference that he's pictured at. It's, it's the antidepressants. It wasn't his fault. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're nearly halfway Is that what Scott there. Morrison's saying or Hillsong? Uh, that's, that's what, what... <laughs> Hillsong have been saying about Brian Hughes. Oh. Yeah, because Morrison doesn't know anything about him. Been there for 15 years. Because <laughs> I mentioned him in my maiden speech. And, yeah, that's and right. I dragged him to, him to America to, to the White House. But don't know. Nothing no, to do with them. Nothing to see. <laughs> Jackie Lambie and the whole Medivac deal. Like, you know, remember she. She caved in about doctors being able to stop people, being mm. able to remove people from detention, and she, for a strange decision, agreed with the government on that one and then now yeah. find out that there was a deal done and she was told she'd going to go to jail if she breached the agreement. Ash Barty resigns from tennis and he does a tweet saying, it was great to speak to Ash Barty, blah, blah, blah. He didn't even speak to her, just left a message on a voicemail. He's this, this. It's minor, but it's just the crap from this guy. Yes. You heard she won a tournament recently, or she won thirty dollars yeah. in a tournament. Yeah, she won the local Saturday comp. She's, yeah, actually, her parents are good golfers okay. as well, and her husband's ah. a good golfer. Yeah, it would not surprise if she became a golfer. Yeah, yeah. There was a guy who was a professional tennis player, male player, who went and joined the golf pro tour. It has been done before. His name will come to me. At some stage, let my subconscious work on that. Morrison refused to meet the Chinese ambassador because he said it would be a sign of weakness. Like, of all the problems we've got with China in our relationship, meeting the ambassador would have been a good idea. And in what way would it have been weak? Yeah. It's Morrison wants to show that he's strong. There's a thing called the Australian Futures Leaders Program. Did you hear about that? It's got no staff or office. It's been given $18 million set aside by the federal government, organised by the Prime Minister Department, and essentially... And it hadn't gone out to tender? No, of course not. What they're going to do is identify young leaders and run them through an indoctrination program. Mm. All about the Seven Mountains. Yes. Sounds very Seven Mountains-ish, but but with $18 million of our money being put towards it, given to a company that's just popped out of the ground... There's no staff, no, nothing, no due diligence, nothing. We had the Esther Foundation. What was the story with the Esther Foundation? That was oh. more money given to that crazy group who are supposed to look after well, people well, battling addiction but in yeah, fact pr- make them read the Bible. Praying away the drug addict instead yep. of praying away the gay. Yeah, more money given to them. And we had Morrison forced to reveal any messages he's had with his QAnon mate. Uh, there's been a court decision, but he'll appeal and he'll be bounced out of office before the appeal's finished, but they probably won't have to reveal them. And and then the IPCC came out and said that regarding climate change, we're supposed to be reducing emissions by 45% by 2030, but we're on track to increase them by 14%. It's the finding of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Like, what a list of just craziness. Mm. In a two-week span. Yeah, I thought the IPCC had said that the Morrison government were lying. I basically called them out as a liar. Probably. I didn't get a chance to 
read through the detail. Yeah. Mm. When is he not lying? <laughs> mm. Doesn't lie. Doesn't lie straight in bed. Mm. What a list. What a. It'll just be a pleasure to just not have this nonsense mm. going on all the time. This circus. But I'm fearful for the Liberal Party that while they're in opposition for another three years, the sort of people who have created a party capable of all that in the last two weeks are just going to keep doing what they're doing. Well, uh, the, as has happened in America, the Democrats are trying to negotiate compromises with a party that are unwilling to compromise. Yeah. And so they may be in opposition, but unless Labor just get ahead and start governing, they'll get bogged down in crap. Mm. Yep. But there's also, you know, the effect and impact of having a bully and then people speak up and then once the bully loses power, then, you know, people clean up their act too. Can't we be optimistic? Especially with a federal ICAC. I mean, but that'll clean it, clean the whole place if, out. If and if it gets teeth, because I, I think the Labour politicians are just as invested in taking taking donations from large corporations. Maybe now would be hmm. a good time to bring up those three impressive women that are running as independents then. Yeah, I mean, that was the Juice Media were very much, we need a hung parliament, we want independence, we want mm. the Greens having the balance of power because mm. that is when the horse training gets done, that's when the real things happen. Mm. Mm. The Labour Party has committed to a federal ICAC with teeth. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they actually propose. Mm. Well, they've been out of power long enough that... None of their own mob will get caught well, by much. I would have thought it would be a good time to do it. But unfortunately it really needs to be historical. Yes, and they'll, you know, yes. there'll, there'll be enough for them to look at in the, over the right. last nine years to keep them busy, I would have thought. So it would be a no-brainer. I mean, you kick one off and and by the time the next election comes around, you know, in about two two years after kicking it off, all sorts of stuff would have come in. Exactly. Go, why, why, why wouldn't exactly. you? Why wouldn't you? Mm. It's uh, be a no-brainer, I would have thought. So, mm. um, um, just was wasn't the proposed the the liberal proposed one was only going to be for civil servants, but not for politicians, and wasn't going to be retrospective, and there was a whole host of caveats around it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so the question is then, you know, we're talking about the liberals sort of following the Republican model and. Is there a difference between Australians and Americans in our nature, in our politics, in our culture, that maybe we won't follow this the same way? Australians are a lot more cynical. Not enough cynicism last election. Like You didn't have to be too cynical to look at Scott Morrison and know he was a prick and a bully and a fake. For I think you did. I think you did. Look, he ran a campaign on I'll keep everything the same. We mm. don't have to do anything. And at that time, for most people, most Australians, things were pretty good. Well, now you hear them every day on the ABC, and it doesn't matter which liberal fella they put out, he says the same thing. 
my focus is on the Australians. Things are good. Mm. Things are good. Things are good. And like things, actually, I was going to ask you about your wedding. Are things good for people? Certainly in my circles, things are not good for people. Things are harder for people. In this particular circle, people were okay. Yeah. So upper middle class. So we don't want status quo. Yeah. We need some change. We've all had a bit of a reckoning. Yeah. And we've got to get some of this stuff sorted out. Okay. So people weren't hurting enough to look around properly. They weren't hurting enough. They're hurting now. Wasn't it? I mean, there, there was a lot about the whole second house. Mm. Getting hard to afford. <laughs> no, Is no, it? no. What? But Labor were talking about removing the tax breaks of, I don't know, was it? When was Frank? that? No, the, the last election, or was it the franking? Oh, that the, was the franking credits, maybe. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, which only a handful of people. Right, but, but it was enough of a scare campaign yes. to, yes. Yep. And realistically, the election before when Labor did win, there was a Medicare scare kind of along the same lines at the last minute that scared yeah. people. Yeah. But scared people into voting Labor. Yeah. So I want to talk about now. I've been telling people Crikey's been a good thing. Did you actually subscribe to Crikey, Joe, or you just saw an article that was free online? Did you? I saw you um, sent me a link to one. Yeah. But, I, uh, I have the RSS feed, and quite often right. it's only the first paragraph, but sometimes right. it's the full article. Yes. So so in these dark days, dear listener, when you're trying to find out a different honest, I think honest view of what's going on, Crikey is a great publication. It's not that mm. expensive. They had it like $99 gets you a year's subscription or something like that. Like in the scheme of things, not a lot of money. So have a look at Crikey. There was an article by Guy Rundle and he was referring to a speech by Lachlan Murdoch, son of Rupert, who was in his speech I'm going to quote bits of it here and then we can talk about the ideas. So basically Lachlan was doing this whole freedom cry and we've got to maintain our freedoms and we can't let these elites talk us out of our freedoms. It's kind of what was part of his... Us common people like Lachlan Murder. Yes, indeed. So, So anyway, this is... Guy Rundle talking about Lachlan Murdoch's speech, and he says, um, but the body of the work repeated the right's main contention that Australians have a professed passion for freedom currently suppressed by the elites. Ha ha, we don't. We're not like the US at all, according to Guy Rundle. From the start, we were a collective society. The frontier no sooner established than the state was occupying the space of it. Most of colonial expansion into the Australian continent was a state-based project and white Australians rapidly developed a statist subjectivity in which national development was conceived in terms of what the state would do. The constitution, which Lachlan described as a fusion of UK and US traditions, is nothing of the sort. The US constitution is a revolutionary document establishing a new order and calling forth a new type of person to constitute a new society by their free action. The Australian Constitution is an administrative document of electoral procedures for an an imperial dominion, then still subject to a UK final say, with the sole freedom guarantee being that of religion, intended mainly to limit Catholic Anglican sectarianism. To keep the place going, the state was expanded through the 20th century. The industrial system 
made any sort of individual or collective bargaining impossible and specified the nature of different professions and jobs to the last iota. The entire wool clip and wheat crop was bought up by the government. The tariff and protection system was the most comprehensive in the world and could be used not only economically but culturally. The import of electric music instruments was banned to stop the spread of jazz. The system was accompanied by the most comprehensive censorship system in the Western world, in which the most anodyne books with mild sexual content were banned and homegrown versions subject to relentless persecution. When when our Sir Robert Menzies famously switched his vote from Liberal to DLP after his retirement, I didn't know he did that. It was because of his successor's abandonment of heavy book and film censorship. At the state and municipal level, public-owned utilities dominated everyday life, from city building to transport. Many expanded into the private market using state economies of scale. This is interesting. In Victoria, the Board of Works had its own network of farms using treated sewerage as fertiliser. The railways owned a customer crèche, its own bookstall chain and orchids for its fruit Mm. juice bars. The tramways ran parks, fun fairs and brass bands. No one batted an eyelid. These were all government bodies running all sorts of stuff. Shop owning hours were rigid, limited and policed, planning laws enforced, a zoning system which expelled thousands of residents from the CBD after World War II and made any sort of mixed-use areas pretty much impossible. White Australians lived in a society whose space was defined by the state. What is most striking about this regime, contrary to the News Corp IPA fantasy, is how little opposition there was to it. Censorship was the cause of a few bohemians, effectively the Sydney libertarian push and the communists, no one except a few academic economic eggheads questioned the statist economic approach. Everyone understood what these big rules were for, to minimise inequality in a way that made a meaningful life possible for the widest number of people. Let me just go on a bit here. The idea of the good society is one of positive freedom, creating conditions to flourish by applying the state to everyday life, not negative freedom of limiting the state's impact on everyday existence. US intellectual roots are in the proto-liberalism of the 18th century. Ours are in the social liberal tradition of Bentham, Wakefield, Green, the Fabians. Now, when this path was abandoned at the elite level in the 1980s, successive governments created a dual culture. This has resulted in a contradictory culture in which universal services such as Medicare have wide support, but Australians are wary of grand schemes, big themes and anything that might even possibly damage the accumulative life path. Hence, Labor's strategic wariness about the big picture stuff, even though that's exactly what we need. Hence, the apparent permanent stuckness of negative gearing. So anyway, there's a bit more there, an article I was picking, cherry-picking out of. But essentially, we started as a collectivist, statist, state-sort-of-based group. We didn't start as the individualised idea that Americans did. Mm. In the 1980s, that changed a bit, but there's still perhaps enough residual cultural hangover from those early days, maybe. That's sort of what I've been arguing the last six years is we had this choice. Do we want to be the American style of rampant capitalism, unrestricted, Mm. Or do we want to go for something more Scandinavian-based? That's that's it in a nutshell, the big issue. Mm. Economy, 
religion, um, social issues. The the Robert Reich argument has always been there's no such thing as small government. Government mm. is government. The question is, who is the government ruling for? Is it ruling for the people or is it ruling for the corporations? Mm. Yeah, That's true. But I guess if you just look at schooling, for example, we have created this whole private school oh, yeah. system. So that has been an erosion of government. You also have, you know, okay, we need a military of some sort. But do we really need a huge military or do we just need enough to beat off a few Indonesians? Like, I, I don't know so much about that argument. It, it, I think it is about size as well as direction and vested interest. Mm. It, I think it is more than just. But it was more the, oh, all the government red tape. Well, either the government red tape is there to protect the moneyed interests mm-hmm. yeah, in, in enforcing um, bankruptcy laws and protecting the assets of large corporations mm. so that they can sue you when you default on your loan mm. um, or is it there to rein in the power of the corporations and, mm. and and hold them to account for pollution and the things that they do where they're passing on the costs of what they do to the average citizen okay i'm prepared to say it's both it's who are they acting for and also how big you know and how eroded things are i mean you know, we've got Medicare and a you know a public hospital system here that they don't have in America. You know, so yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so, and the other one was an Americans conservatives yeah. view of a small government is a yeah. government so small that it can fit through your bedroom keyhole. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, they're in a position over there where the a fairly extreme left wing view would still be to the right of a lot of other mm-hmm. Western liberal democracies. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, good article by Guy Rundle. And, yeah, in the chat, if you guys – it's too hard for me to keep track of the chat, but if you've seen any good uh, – actually, Camille says, I subscribed to Crikey after Trevor hyped it. Pretty happy so far. That's good. Yeah. And Roman says, at least we still have the tramways banned. <laughs> do we, Roman? I, I guess I we actually, do. I, I, my daughter went off to a – youth group uh, weekend away yep. up on Bribey Island yep. and I looked up where they were staying and it's a holiday camp that's owned by the tramways. It was for disadvantaged children to have a, a beach holiday mm. and it was set up by a, the, the Brisbane Tramways Corporation, the, the tram drivers, which then became the bus drivers. It's still yep. something along those lines. Right. Yep. Yep. So there are was... some, yeah, there are some odd holiday spots around. I was on Kuchimodolo Island and there was some Queensland police thing there that was mm-hmm. quite obscure as well. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was union owned or police owned, but yeah, there are some odd holiday places around. Okay. Let's dive around to other things. Got any comments on the slap? At all at the Academy Awards, do we need to spend any time on 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 the Scientologist? Uh, I on think um, I one think, man slapping um, another man. Yeah, I think Russell Brand actually nailed it, and he's I thought fallen off the off the what's the expression about going a bit nuts? But anyway, Russell Jump Brand this. has been 
a bit odd lately, but I think he mm. did nail this in his um, summation, which is just it just really highlights the whole absurdity of the ceremony. Right. Yep. Like in a world as chaotic as this, that we have this weird award ceremony where we just celebrate like rich and greed and yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's actually just humans like everywhere else. So, yeah. There's a fascination. People have a fascination with actors. I think mm. human beings find it really difficult to look at like a Russell Crowe. And just not get, he's just an actor. He wasn't really the gladiator fighting those people. (laughs) He wasn't the smart mathematician working out that shit on the blackboard. (laughs) He was just the actor. He doesn't have those qualities. Yes. And I think people will just get so conned by the whole thing that they project onto these individuals, the roles that they used to play. They're just Mm. ordinary Joes like anybody else, but they get, ooh, actor. Superpowers. Yeah. Yes. The worst part about it all was Scott Morrison saying, Oh, yeah, I can understand why he hit him. You know, if my wife was insulted, you know, I, I, I can understand it. Such a tosser, that guy. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm your average Aussie bloke. And yeah, if my missus was insulted, I'd be thinking the same thing as well. So- you know, I was actually having a conversation with a cabin manager and mm. he was saying to me, that his wife was a vegetarian back when people really gave them stick. So he'd be at a dinner party or whatever and he would he would rise to defend her, not to that degree. Mm. But she just pulled him aside one day and said, stop. Yep. Stop. Well, if I can my own I'm big enough to do it myself. Exactly. It's quite insulting. <laughs> yes. like, if anyone insulted that woman at the ceremony, it was him. By yes. thinking he had to go up and slap a guy to defend her honour. You, you yes. also notice he was laughing That's until right. he saw her. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's a whole heap of hypocritical type of stuff mm. there. A couple of tweets from Emma was, apparently a man slapping is fine but a woman not smiling isn't. So Who is that woman? She's uh, amazing. Yeah, she's, her Twitter. Yeah, she's prolific. She must be yes. on it all day all in an yeah. unhealthy way perhaps. Mm. I, I just well. worry about her that way. Um, <laughs> It does seem to be a bit of a obsession for some people. Yeah. And another one here by this guy who said, this was FKA, was Will Smith saying he wants to be a vessel for love 15 minutes after hitting a guy live on international TV and then getting a standing ovation is just an incredible summation of what Hollywood's all about. It's true. Mm. Yeah, a vessel for love. So. Mm. I've got the clip. There's no point playing it. You've all seen it. Let's move on. Speaking of Twitter, Michael West started following me. Did he? Very good. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, my God, I never tweet. I'll have to to start thinking up stuff to tweet. And that's where I got the idea to do little clips of our videos. Okay. So he sees them and then he might come on and debate you or something. That'd be good. I like. Wouldn't that be good? So anyway, I'll have to think up some tweets instead of just retweeting. He's very pally-pally with friendly Geordies and... How amazing is Friendly Geordies with this latest? That's so courageous, eh? Expose about the yeah. sex in the prayer in the prayer room. But as long as consenting adults, who cares? Best use of a prayer room I can think of. Yep. Yep. Except when you claim to be so family oriented that oh, you're yeah. actually um, screwing around with somebody who's not your 
professed lifelong partner, perhaps. Mm. You know, so if you if you weren't going to be claiming all these moral family values, that would be fine. But when you do, the hypocrisy mm. should be exposed. And you know, mm. really shuffling people in and out of Parliament House without signing them in appropriately—is that what we want happening? So you know, who cares who's sleeping with who? But yeah, Joe, you had some topics. One of which was in America. Vaccine case, consent case for parents. So I've thrown this to you when you haven't been able to probably look it up, but do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to just launch into it? Yeah, I remember reading it and yeah. thinking it was interesting, but I forgot what the outcome it, was. It was a federal judge barred the District of Columbia from enforcing a law that allowed minors to be vaccinated without their parents' knowledge, of course. Because it after... interfered with their religious freedom, that was it. Correct, yes. So... It was a law which allowed children as young as 11 to get the vaccine without their parents' knowledge if a doctor determined that they are capable of informed consent. And the religious nutters over there weren't having any of it, so that's under appeal. You also had a link to an interesting book by a lady whose last name is Green, I think, and she is Canadian and helps people with voluntary assisted dying. and. She's written a book about her experience mm. and I think it would be an interesting book. So it was, she was overwhelmed by the incredible experiences she was having, the work itself and the intimate relationships that was, she, she was thrown into, the interactions between people and their families were extraordinary. I think that would be an interesting book about people's experiences there. The interesting part as well was she's actually a maternity doctor. Yes. Yeah. So she was she was helping. She said she she was used to dealing with those conversations because obviously mm. maternity is a very high risk, high mortality time, and mm. she was used to having those conversations around life and death decisions. Mm. And, and yeah, if you've ever read any of Terry Pratchett and the witches, and the witches were there at the beginning of life and at the end of the life, they were the midwives of the village. And they were there helping people um, ease their way out of this world. Mm. This, this woman does both too, yeah. Well, exactly. Mm. And she referred to assisted deaths as deliveries. Yes. She said helping to end people's suffering had been the most rewarding experience of her career, although initially that was a sentiment she felt she had to keep to herself. Yeah. Anyway, I'll put a link in the show notes for that uh, book if you're interested. Could be a good read. Uh, another article saying that we've got to get Gonski back on track. The Gonski report, of course, looked at the funding of education, said we need to fund schools based on their need. Uh, higher socioeconomic groups lead, need less money than lower socioeconomic groups when it comes to educating. That the Gonski formulas have just been completely bastardised and ruined by various governments' agreement that nobody will lose money. So these overpayments of private schools continued, even though they shouldn't have, because they're basically afraid of losing votes. Mm. And and that really Gonski has never been properly implemented and that we should do it. And we've got to get on back on track. And it finishes at the end. We need to start a national dialogue on increasing equity in school resourcing. If elected, Labor should call a national education summit in 2022 to get Gonski back on track. 
And this is the problem with our whole school system in Australia is people here think it is normal and it's completely abnormal. So there's just so much talking and explaining that has to be done to try and shift the Overton window into a more normal into more normal parameters. So it probably is the case Labor couldn't do anything until it does a lot of talking and explaining to people so that mm. help them understand. I, I've tried but, to explain mm. and, and people, you just get special pleading. When yes. I say, if I don't catch the bus, does the government refund me the equivalent bus fares, mm. the, the bus rebates to pay mm. for my private car? Because effectively, that's what they're doing for private schools. Yeah. And there's a lot of loyalty to private schools where people, and that's, you know, part of the propaganda and indoctrination of a private school is singing the school song and isn't this the greatest school? And when you're finished, you're going to come back as an old boy and have dinners and, or an old girl and have dinners. And, and it, it, you know, there's a lot of indoctrination there to get through. So... Yeah. Another one you sent, Joe, was Adani Mine. And I remember we spoke about this when the Adani Mine was being considered and people said it's going to create all these jobs and basically Adani's own experts said, actually, there's not going to be that many jobs. So, so it appears the Adani Mine in central Queensland could be employing as few as 300 production staff. Meanwhile, the Queensland government is subsidising the project through a long-term royalties deal. Namely, they don't have to pay the normal rate of royalties, they pay a reduced rate of royalties. Queensland is missing out on more than $93 million in royalties every year for the length of the agreement. And if we're only getting 300 jobs for our $93 million then we're subsidising every job at the mine by more than $300,000 per job per year. And that was always going to happen from the very mm. beginning. Plus the carbon impact. Yep, indeed. So so why not just say no? Just say no. Because, because it's a political hand grenade. And their inability to sell because they're not good sellers and and also the Murdoch press will crucify them even if they are good sellers, they will absolutely crucify them. I, I get it. Yeah, these are the battles. Yep. Yeah. Our inability to say, all right, fossil fuel is dead. This is our plan for regional Australia. This is what we're, mm. we're going to retrain these people. Yeah, mm. $300,000 a person is a hell of a lot of training. Mm. Yeah. Yep. In a new industry, whatever mm. the new industry is. But, you know, people don't understand. People wouldn't be aware of those figures, would have no idea. No. doesn't come out. The true cost of fossil fuel subsidies. So in the budget, the federal government provides the most assistance to the fossil fuel sector, costing $10.5 in the 21-22 um, financial year. This is in f fuel subsidies. The main one being the fuel tax credits. So fuel tax credits provides a credit for fuel tax, such as the excise or customs duty that is included in the price of fuel. And this is for fuel used in business activities, such as machinery, plant equipment, heavy vehicles, light vehicles. So if you use fuel in plant and equipment and machinery, then you can claim a fuel tax credit, which 
gives you back the excise and customs duty, for example, which adds up to $10.5 billion per year. The amount that the government pays public schools is $9.7 billion. We're giving more in fuel tax subsidies. I heard this story. I think I'm allowed to tell this. I know a guy who was in a car dealership and this, I think it was an employee or it might have been some other person, approached the car dealership and said, I can save you X thousands of dollars, maybe it was $200,000, $300,000 per year, but you have to agree to pay me a like a finder's fee for what I'm about to tell you. And he got them to sign an agreement before they did it. And I think it was that the dealerships could claim this fuel tax credit if they sold vehicles to farmers and, and businesses, that the dealers who had filled up the tank could then claim the fuel tax credit. And it was worth an enormous amount of money to the dealership. And this guy struck a deal like that. So anyway, I think that's how it went. Wow. Anyway, Joe, thanks for all these happy stories you're giving us about a downy <laughs> cost of fuel. I'm just thinking ten, ten and a half billion. Yep. How much would that go towards alternative energy sources, funding alternative energy mm. sources for these devices? Yeah. Mm. If, if you said this has got to be an electric vehicle. Yep. Yep. Here's some money to, to turn it from a, a diesel-powered vehicle into a, an electric vehicle. I know. The numbers are huge. What you could do with this money. Mm. What you could do with it, yeah. At the conference on Saturday, one of the electricians that got up to present was talking about the exploitation of people on solar farms. Like, it's quite bad. And if people knew, so for instance, like, they get hired for six weeks' work and then they get maybe two weeks, so they get rushed to do just hour after hour after hour, do extended overtime or whatever, not get paid for it. Job's done in two weeks and they say, thanks very much, see ya. Really? Yeah, so it's because it's a new industry, it's not heavily unionised, it's not really worked out and it's easy to exploit workers, which if, you know, some of the people in the audience were saying like knowing that it does actually make it hard to support the renewable industry. So that's another thing that unions could potentially address is start getting membership around there and then being part of the transition, Mm. not just leaving it to government. Either mm. government. So wow. yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's some of the some of the new challenges coming with it. And they'd be out on site just living in dongers for mm. the weeks while they're cranking it out. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and just briefly, the Murdoch family has borrowed a hundred million dollars from the Chinese government at the same time that their Murdoch papers <laughs> wage war against the Chinese Communist Party. I reckon the Chinese were happy to lend it to them, hoping that at some stage the Murdochs get desperate and and they'll be able to squeeze them. Mm. And I say, yeah, I'm not so happy with your articles. You might want to start writing some pro-China stuff. That'll be funny. And the Anglican Church is using tens of millions of dollars it receives from taxpayers for aged care services instead to cover the church's historic child abuse um, Child sexual abuse claims. So they own, they own money for child sexual abuse and they're getting money from their, their arm that Anglicare Sydney, which is an aged care operator, and they're using that money to pay their other fees. 
and this is the Sydney Anglican Church who do- mm-hmm. d- donated $10 million to the No campaign. Yes. Yes. Making, making money. So it's not like they don't have any money. It's just they want to use it to be mean to gay people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Okay, we've headed down another depressing pathway yes. here. <laughs> Didn't take long. We're going to rattle through these topics. You're going to be up to date, dear listener, for any for any dinner parties that you're at. Solomon Islands. You hear about how they basically yes. have oh, yes. struck a deal with the Chinese over some stuff. Oh yeah, the the missile oh, base yes. that's going to be pointed at Australia. Yeah, well, they've done a treaty with China over something. And, of course, Australia and New Zealand are up in arms about it. And I saw a speech in the parliament by the Prime Minister, Sogavare, and he's really, really good. Mm. Like he speaks really well and saying, we're a sovereign nation. We can make deals. We're not going to make stupid deals. No one's pressured us into this. We're not going to do anything crazy. But, you know, we asked Australia for help. They said they couldn't do it and they had deals with Papua New Guinea. So we're looking around. We've got to explore our options. And you exactly. guys tell us, try and tell us what where to do and that we're too stupid to work it out for ourselves. Like it, was, it wasn't as frank as that. It wasn't. Uh, he used better more polite language than that, but it was really compelling, thoughtful, a really good speech, better than anything you've heard in the Australian Parliament in the last nine years from the Liberal National Party side at least. It was a damn fine, coherent, normal speech by the Prime Minister Sagavare. So he spoke really well. Good on him. I thought seven mountains on the Gold Coast. So Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate's Who's still New- around after what seemed like a very damning Four Corners report I watched some years ago. Yeah, about mm. property developers. Yeah. Yes. At the best, but anyway, you know, all allegedly by them and, you know, he's still there, good on him. Yes. Right. But his new spiritual advisor is an adherent of the Christian fundamentalist Seven Mountains Mandate, which seeks to achieve Christian control of major institutions of society. So... This was a bit of a scoop for the Rationalist Society. Cy Gladman came across this video where the spiritual advisor talked about how she'd sat down with Tom and had described to him the Seven Mountains mandate. And he said, I'm all in. We've got to do this. And how are we going to do it? And and she was boasting about that. And that's had a bit of coverage in different newspapers. So it's a thing. The Seven Mountains mandate is a thing. It's about seeding people into the media, education, politics, etc., getting them to the top and mm-hmm. the influence spreads. So oh, Julia makes a good comment. Tom Tate, who invited the media to his water baptism, but when asked if he subscribes to the Seven Mountains mandate, suddenly said his faith was personal. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, Julia, but why does that not surprise me? Typical. What else we got here? I got that one. Chris Hedges. Now I might do that another time. Oh, look, we're nearly out of gas before I go into I could launch into a whole Ukraine thing, but I think we're so close to nine o'clock. I should stop. But because uh, I've got a lot there. Shay, anything else you want to get off your chest? That we've had enough of a gripe about the world. So I guess there's to try and 
stay away from some of the despair. Mm. I guess I could recommend some uplifting books that I've been yes. reading. Mm. Really getting a lot out of Lee Sales's book. Really? It's it's called it's either called Any Ordinary Day or No Ordinary Day. And it's this beautiful novel to sort of like walking through a whole range of interesting stories like going back over Stuart Diver. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. him, the survivor of that landslide. And, yeah, it was just a really beautiful, uplifting book. And then Julia Baird listening to her book Phosphorence, which is really uplifting. And mm-hmm. then the book Love Stories by Trent Dalton. So. Oh, yes, Trent Dalton's a good writer. really, yeah. really good. So he just sat at a desk in the middle of Brisbane City with a sign mm. that said, tell me a love story. Mm. And it's just, it's so beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He, his really main novel, what's his main novel that he wrote, Trent Dalton? Can you remember Shimmering what Skies or something like that. He wrote one about his childhood. And Did he? Yeah. He grew up in a sort of a childhood sort of at Inala. And Did he? Yeah. And so he's always a Brisbane boy. Yeah, always a Brisbane. This is how oh. Brisbane he was. His family always aspired to live at the Gap. <laughs> the Gap was seen as this fantastic Someday. place. <laughs> yes. to, to, a boy swallows universe, Bromman says. Did you read it, Bromman? But, yeah, has lots of Brisbane stuff in it. If you like Trent Dalton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I give those maybe not five stars, but certainly a nice distraction. Very easy right. reading. Yeah, I think yeah, that's good. That's good to finish on a positive note. Thank you for that <laughs> <Yes>. show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dear listener. Well, that was a good episode. We've covered a fair bit of territory there in the chat room. Well done. I could see different comments, and uh, thank you for that. I will be back next week with something I'm not exactly sure what and my boss from Melbourne is up on the Monday. I'll be running around and all sorts of stuff. Don't know, it might be. Anyway, we'll see what it'll be but it might be this. I'm not going to hash through Morrison's nonsense again next week. It'll be something a bit different so we'll see what we do. All right, until then, so it's bye from me. I'll talk to you next week. Good night. And it's a good night from him. Yeah. Fifth in a vibe with love. Well, shit. well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. And it's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth 
more than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.